how is everybody doing and welcome back for another strength chat episode today i have got a very special guest for you today i'm joined by a physiotherapist working within the nhs as well as within the gym environment i hope i'm going to pronounce his surname uh, correctly today i'm joined by the one and only alex krzeski how are you doing i'm very well thanks for thanks for having me on this morning i'm looking forward to see what we uh, what we dive into and where we end up yeah, definitely. I think some of the uh, some of the topics, obviously, that I sent over. Um, yeah, I think there's a there's a lot to sort of um, chat about, which will be good. Um, but yeah, how have you been? What have you been up to in this last crazy madness of your, madness year? <laughs> yeah. So um, so yeah, as, as you mentioned, I, I have a, a full time role within the within the NHS where I work as a, as a team lead physio, and then my my sort of other time is occupied in the private sector for, for probably sort of 20 to 30 hours a month of um, kind of general population work. And I, I tend to work with quite a lot of uh, sort of strength sport athletes and, and barbell athletes as well. So given given that the majority of my, you know, my own kind of clients have not been able to, to access a gym for, for the last, you know, last year or so, there's been less of that. Um, but within the NHS, really, it's just, uh, you know, been working where we where we needed so our, our physio service did, did close down for for some time and we were we were redeployed into into other roles but i think we are starting to come out the other side of it now which is which is nice and then we can get back to <clears throat> get back to doing what we do best yeah definitely and with the because i know um we've got a physio uh, down at the gym that i work at and they've been able to do some in-person sort of um it, you know it, this year if you like um have you still been able to do or got back into doing some in-person um, uh, physio or how was the transition to maybe doing some online stuff? How, how have you found that? Yeah. So, so from, I think from the second lockdown, we've, we've been able to, to continue running a, a physiotherapy service out of the, the gym I work at, which has been a, a, a huge help for obviously a lot of people that, that need to be seen in person. Um, I think what, what I've found with some of the, the sort of remote and online work is that there is a, there is a cohort of people that you can manage very effectively when, you know, you've got a, a predominantly kind of advice and education driven problem or, or session that you're trying to deliver. And, and even when you're, you know, if you've got someone who's well coached, then it's it's easy to work through that, you know, remotely. But one of the the challenges I've certainly found is a, a lot of my, you know, kind of, a lot of my original practice is is very kind of hands-on with people as I'm going through kind of assessing treating and and even even with coaching and having to learn how to do that purely through you know visual demonstration through a screen or picking the the correct words that resonate with the person you're working with has been a a, a huge learning curve so although you know although my my preference is always to work with people in person and typically we have people travel um you know fairly far and wide to, to come and see us in in person which is great i think the the way that this remote care has has almost been rushed through and, and become a lot more acceptable to people has made everyone across the world a lot more accessible which is you know which is fantastic for people who want to work with very specific individuals who typically have put you know kind of content or, or messages out that resonate with them so you know if, if distance is a problem then you know, really that that's kind of mitigated by by being able to do something remotely. Yeah, definitely. I do, I do agree with you there as well. It has been a, a learning curve. I know for me, the, the bulk of my coaching is done in, in person. I do have online clients, but that's mainly they're sending training footage over 
review the training footage, send it back. But the, to then have, um, uh, you know, trying out sort of online PT sessions and, and that sort of stuff, it is quite, um, uh, it has been something different because it is more about you can't put them in the right position and say, right, sometimes I feel that, yeah, it should be a setting where you can put your hands through the computer and say, no, no, this is this is what we're going to do. But, um, yeah, definitely in terms of, um, you know, being able to um, uh, reach a wider audience and, you know, with distance being an issue, it's definitely been, I think there has been some, in, uh, definitely a, a, an improvement in terms of, you know, being able to reach different people with different expertise, which has been good. Um, so obviously I did a little bit of a, an introduction at the start, but for everyone listening who might not know your background, how you got involved in the, you know, the private um, uh, sector in gyms, as well as the NHS. Do you just want to give a little bit of a background to yourself? So, so I, I originally qualified with a, with an undergraduate degree in, in exercise science. And then I, I got to the end of that and couldn't really see a, a tangible career path at the time that was, was really of interest to me or interesting to me. And I think it, physio was the thing I'd looked at previously but hadn't really given uh, a second thought and the the nice thing certainly in the UK is is with a with a prior undergraduate degree you can go in to do like a, a master's level pre-registration physiotherapy degree so it's a, a two-year rather than a three-year course and at that point in time I you know I thought right I'll go in and and do that um, so I qualified in in 2012 so I'm, I think I'm in my, my ninth year of, of practice now um, worked for a, worked for a, a sort of a, a national company prior to, to moving into the NHS about six and a half years ago and have worked my way um, sort of through the through the ranks there and probably for the last four or five years I've been doing my own work for myself uh, alongside that because I think working in the NHS and it being you know this this kind of public health sector and it's it's free at the point of access you you do have a number of challenges and constraints that you have to work with that impact on the the, the you know the quality of care that, that you can provide and certainly some of the you know the private work that I do do is almost born out of frustration that I can't do everything that I feel I, I want to do to to really help someone so for the, for the work I do with myself it's it's probably not dissimilar in terms of what I try to, to do with people, but in terms of how long I can work with someone, in terms of how often I can see someone, um, it's a lot easier to, to do everything that's, that's necessary because having, having these sort of longer appointments where I can, you know, I can work with someone for, for an hour or even longer if I want to, you can, you can get through everything that you need to. And, and again, it just it removes those time pressures where you're trying to prioritize everything for, for everyone that you see. And, you know, if, if you're working with, a, a, you know, like an injured barbell sport athlete, if, as an example, you know, often these people have been carrying things for, for a long time and they've worked around it and they've got their own perception of what's going on in your head. And you've, you know, you've got to take the time to listen to everything that's gone on You've then got to take the time to, to go through a, a thorough assessment. You've then got to take the time to program everything and discuss the, the intervention. And you, you can't do that in, in half an hour. But when you've got the time and space to be able to do that, you, you ultimately you don't see people you know that many times because the time you do spend together is, is high quality. It's, it's efficient when you do it. Um, and then really you're just guided by how that person responds and, and where they go as, as time goes on. Yeah, definitely. I think that is a is a big thing that, you know, I've had a lot of um, uh, clients, you know, who have had um, 
niggles or injuries that is a little bit outside of my sort of like scope of knowledge. And it is sometimes that it is just the quality of time spent with there. And, you know, sometimes it's not always um, the the area that's hurt, that's that's painful. It could be something else that has been missed further up the chain or, or, or down. So I completely agree. Being able to have that a little bit more time, you can, you know, maybe cover all the bases or, you know, go down an avenue that you think, right, you know, we're going to, we're going to give this a go rather than, you know, being a little bit more um, uh, maybe generic, if you like, and hitting the hitting the big rocks and thinking, right, this is this is this is what this is what we're going to aim for. Um, obviously, the topics that are, that are sent over and being in, you know, sort of both camps, um, it would be quite uh, quite interesting. And as well, you know, I sent the email over from um, seeing the work of obviously Tony Gentlecar and a couple of others, and and then seeing the work that you're you're putting out there as uh, as as well. It for that. Uh, 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 field of training working with um people who are actually training and involved in in, in strength training i think is quite interesting and um i kind of wanted to touch on what are your um what's your kind of definition of rehab um you know coming coming back from an injury um and how have you found being in the uh, you know in the gym environment and the nhs environment what are people's actual thoughts of what they're expecting rehab to be if that makes sense yeah so so i think i i I try and conceptualize rehab as this this process of the the restoration of uh of you know whether it's tissue injury or this this sensitivity to pain in a a given context at the same time maintaining and progressing the the fitness or training qualities that are unaffected by that that particular injury and I think typically when, you know, when people do talk about rehab or what they perceive it to be, is you, you've got these very um, kind of abstract exercises that typically have low load. It's, it's difficult to draw a, a confident line from what you're doing there and the terminal goal that this or terminal outcome that this person has. So, you know, you, you've got people who will, who will default to their, you know, kind of their, their external rotation exercises if they've got a shoulder problem or they'll go and do uh, a host of core exercises for their, for their back problem. And it's, it's challenging because there, there are times where that approach is, is correct, but you, you've got to make it relevant and specific for the, the person in front of you and that's really underpinned by a a thorough and an appropriate assessment for that for that individual so i think that the main difference i see between the work i do in the nhs and the work i do for for myself in the private sector is certainly in in my own work i, I will see people who are habitually more active they, they tend to be a bit more health seeking and looking up they're pro looking after themselves um a little bit more um and again, obviously working with a, with a fairly specific population with, you know, powerlifters, strongmen, bodybuilders and, and things like that, um, that they are people who have very clear goals and very clear outcomes of, of what they want to do. So although, as with most people, their goal is to get out of pain and, and to feel better day to day, that goal really is driven by the, the desire to, to be able to get back on a lifting platform or to be able to handle a barbell with without any concerns or or problems or get back into you know running or or something like that and and certainly within the nhs there are still that cohort of of people that come through but i think certainly the the type of people that we tend to see they they there are more things to to consider so typically 
I will see a population who might have more more pre-existing health conditions or they may be a little bit older or the the, the sort of the, the socioeconomic factors that they are having to contend with each day tend to be a, a little bit more complex. So in, invariably, they are a, a more challenging group to manage. And that then becomes compounded by the amount of time that I can spend with that person as well as the frequency with which I can I can see that person as well. So there's certainly a lot more prioritization of what I can do in in those sessions. If I've if I've got half an hour to work with someone and I've got five or six different things that I need to go with, I know I'm not going to get through all of them. But if I can pick the low hanging fruit that resonates with that person then I'm more likely to get a, a successful outcome. But that's where we start to move into, you know, people's willingness to, to embrace change or, or kind of discussing behavior change with them. And, you know, I think, again, on, on the on the constrained resources, it becomes very difficult to try and meet that person's expectations if they are skewed from from where they've been before they've they've come to see us. Yeah, I think that's a, a good explanation of um, because there's there's two camps of it. It is two different, you know, populations, you know, probably um, the NHS side of things, like you were saying, may, may not potentially um, have that much of a, of a training background. Whereas usually, you know, especially um, in the like sort of the independent gyms, there's going to be a physio associated to that gym um, who are used to people who are doing their barbell lifts strongman bodybuilding what, what whatever it may be and we've sort of kind of touching on the um the the strength training uh side of things do you find that you know when people are coming uh coming to you sometimes there's a there's a case of um oh well i can't do this so you know they've they've injured themselves all right well i can't squat that's it. Um, we're, we're not going to be able to do that. Or there's the other end of the spectrum where people might be saying, "Oh, well, I'll just go lighter. I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I just won't go as heavy this time, and and just see and see how it goes." How have you found? Uh, do you find that people people say that? And you know, how do you sort of you know put it across that? Okay, well, we don't have to do nothing. We don't have to stop squatting altogether. And as well, right? Well, I don't want you just going lighter. You know, there's other things that we can put in place. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there, there's always a there's always a trainable menu. And I know Tony Gentle uses that term a lot. And it's it's something that I I, I really liked when he put it out there. So like, oh this this makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because for, for everyone that comes in and sees me, whether whether we're dealing with a, a pain problem or a performance problem or a movement problem, there is always an entry point for that person to, to fit in at. Now Again, it, it depends whether that entry point is deemed acceptable relative to their expectations. But what we typically see in if and this this is for everyone, this isn't just for again kind of um, barbell athletes, but you, you've got copers and you've got avoiders. And more often than not, the barbell athlete is the is the best coper that I've come across because they will, yeah, as you say, that they will pivot by changing the exercise, changing the volume, changing the load. They, they will do everything they can to avoid not squatting, not deadlifting, not doing this this particular lift. And I, I don't see these people when the pain starts. I see it three to six months down the line when, it, when the, the trainable menu has narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and they can't find a way, a way out of it. So, you know, I think we've, we've certainly got this, this concept of, 
you know, exercise progressions and, and regressions. And then you've got um, like what they call like a lateralization. So a, a Charlie Weingroff term of taking that side step, but maintaining a training effect. And pe people are really good at doing that to a point. But then at some point, if it reaches that that tipping point or that threshold where they think, right, I'm now in too much pain to be able to do this or I'm spending 30 to 40 minutes to warm up to get under a bar or I'm in pain for three days afterwards rather than just being a bit sore. That's that's where people tend to, to come through my door or are referred to me. And when you can go through a session with someone and you can make sure there's nothing serious going on, you can reassure them of that and you can show them these ways of training that don't hurt, that do feel intense. And that, and that could be a few different things depending on the, on the situation. But if, if you're able to show that person that you can train and you found that entry point successfully, the rest of the process is relatively straightforward because you, you've built that rapport by showing them, I'm not that healthcare professional that says you have this pain, therefore you cannot do that. And that's where I think a lot of people run into trouble. And it's, it's where physios and other you know, rehab professionals get a bad name because some, some people, if they don't know what they're, they're doing with the population they're working with, the default thing to do is to rest and, and to avoid. And certainly there are times where that's important. But for me, the most important thing is to try and find that training effect and maintain that as much as possible. And certainly we, we might regress that back two or three steps whilst we find the, the correct entry point. But managing someone's head and managing their mindset by doing that does you far better than saying, just don't, don't deadlift for six, for six weeks and then go back and just, just start light and build it up. You know, it's, yeah. it's this very kind of wishy-washy approach where you've, you've avoided the pain trigger or the, the pain cause for a period of time, which is great because it allows things to settle down and calm down. But what have you done to ensure that that doesn't happen again in the future? And, and this is where, again, if you're, if you're working with a specific population, you need to have that skin in the game of being under a barbell and knowing what it feels like when it goes wrong, knowing what it feels like when it feels perfect. And if you can then talk in that language with someone, it becomes a lot easier to build that that therapeutic relationship as well. Yeah, definitely. I always liken it to, you know, it's like if you were going to coach rugby or, or rugby or football, you've got to, or, or referee it or whatever, I think you've got to have some idea of, you know, how the how the game is to get get an understanding of it. And, you know, I think that's the exact same when it comes to, um, you know, the the, the barbell lifts. Just a, a couple of things from, from, from what you were saying on there. Do you think, well, two things actually, do you think that, um, when we're looking at the the exercises, all right. Well, if I do this, this is going to stop me getting back pain. If you've started going back pain, because especially with you know um, social media and YouTube and all that sort of stuff, you know, you see um, what's quite nice to see is a lot of people are doing like the McGill Big Three in the gym. Oh, great! Well, this is going to stop me, you know, getting getting back pain. Um, do you think that because? you know, just those snippets of information are out there of, you know, do this exercise, stop back pain, do this exercise to manage knee pain. Do you think that people think that if they, you know, go to the, go to a physio, that they're just going to be given those and they're trying to sort of um, uh, self, I can't think what the word is, self-coach or self-treat, self-treat themselves? 
Yeah, I think one one of my one of my pet hates is the is the post on Instagram where it's you know top top three exercises for back pain or do do this to deal with your shoulder pain, and it's it, it falls into this category rather than it of being like meaningful education. It's it's more of this like exertainment. So it's it's kind of just you you scroll through your feed, you swipe a few times, and like, oh that that looks cool, I'll, I'll try that. And then you go and do it in the gym and you're like, oh, well, why, why didn't this work? I'll try, oh, I'll try the next one and see, see what happens there. So I don't, I don't think there's such thing as a bad exercise, but you need to have a meaningful reason for selecting and programming that exercise. And I think with, with experience, you know, be, being in the gym and, and being a kind of a, a regular resistance trainer, I wouldn't say I fall into the category of being a strength athlete or a CrossFit athlete or anything like that. Yeah. But I think you you learn how important programming is and you learn how important it is to order and select exercises and then you you gauge your you know your tempos your volume your intensity off of that whereas if you're just throwing three to ten exercises at the wall and seeing what sticks for that person then you've again you've you've missed the boat and you've you've not accurately assessed that that person so you know using your example of the of the mcgill big three you know even even Stu himself he, he won't give those three exercises to everyone that, that comes through the door and yet the perception on social media is that he will give those exercises to everyone that comes through the door but actually there are there are reasons that will you know that will link him to those exercises within the assessment which is typically three hours because he has time to go through these things and listen to people and assess them and those exercises are appropriate for a period of time and based on the assessment findings they they've sort of form the basis for how you progress those things as time goes on and again that that feeds into your your trainable menu of if i know these things are pain triggering then i need to find alternative ways of of moving or or loading these activities but if i know these other exercises are absolutely fine then I can I can get after that with as much intensity as I want and I can still feel like I'm training. Yeah. Because every everyone should have the right to, to feel like uh and you know they should have the right to feel like an athlete in whatever athlete means in their mind. If you're taking someone and you're making them do very remedial, very low intensity work and you don't have a very clear reason as to why you're doing that, then you're probably leaving potential progress on the on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with, and you know, it's interesting you say there that, you know, yes, there's um, people that will be competing in powerlifting or, you know, competing in bodybuilding or strongman, but there's, you know, a large population, like what you said there, that just enjoy strength training that just, that, you know, and they have a, a level of um, strength or a level of ability that I think sometimes, um, you know, when you, when you said there about giving, giving exercises that aren't having a training effect, obviously the good thing, and you know, why probably a lot of people enjoy strength training is that you can see progress on the bar. You can see actually you, you're getting better. And I think sometimes like the, you know, McGill big three and other exercises, I think sometimes it's hard to judge whether you are making progress, if that kind of makes sense, because, you know, there's no sort of, you're not seeing weight on the bar. You're not seeing whether you're squatting deeper or, you know, or, or whatever it may be. And just sort of going on from that, I think um, there is a uh, the, there is more of a, a trend now that you know speaking with physios you know such as yourself who have a background in training to try and sort of blend 
the the rehab and training training worlds together. So how have you found um you know working with other coaches in terms of the programming side of things to blend together and when sort of you know coaches have stepped tried to step sort of into your world and and, and vice versa and what sort of like the be- best practices you know for that yeah so I, th- I think the, the the sort of you know whether we call it interdisciplinary working or, or multidisciplinary working is is absolutely critical because I'm I'm not a powerlifting coach. I'm not a this coach that coach. I I'm a therapist with an interest in these in these particular things, and I'm I'm very lucky that the the the, the head coach, if you like, of the the gym that I work at is a a very well known strength and conditioning coach. He is very good with what he does. I I don't need to be that person, but if he's got someone who he can't coach out of pain if it's just a like a like a movement problem if it's a programming error that's not writing itself as we you know as you change it and you give it time to settle then he will very confidently hand off to me in the knowledge and the confidence that I'm not there to say well you need to not train with this person for six weeks because then it's impacting on his you know his income ultimately and it's then favoring my income when I see that person for you know for six weeks so I think being able to move away from this being a uh, like a financially driven process and it, making sure it remains a client sense of progress is is really important um, but again I think you the, the the people you work with and the content you put out and the message you put out will draw people towards you and you, you'll attract certain you know certain coaches and, and individuals so I, I have a uh, I guess like a cohort of, of coaches that I would regularly refer out to, or I would have coaches that refer into me if they've got clients that they're not quite sure with things. And again, over the last year, that's the, the, the reach of that has increased because of, of COVID. Um, but I think you you need to know where your where your scope starts and finishes. And fundamentally, I think my my scope probably finishes at the point where I've I've worked with someone through like a general physical preparation phase. And if we're then starting to move into more of the specific stuff, then that's where I hand off. Yeah. But again, as as with as with everything, people get injured or people start suffering pain in the lead up to events, meets, comps and, and things like that. And then actually we, we have to work a lot closer together because we, we've got to appropriately manage the exposure of, of exercise that someone's um, placing themselves under whilst maintaining that that process of, of peaking over however long that is whilst not worsening their their pain and that might be where I then move into more of a uh, you know like a, a therapeutic role where it becomes more about traditional physio stuff with you know with manual techniques or, or pain relief strategies but it also might then mean that we look at how we program everything around the stuff that's that's absolutely essential so part of the process with you know working with anyone is saying what what are the absolute non-negotiables that you will not budge on because we can leave them there but as long as you understand the consequences of leaving them there then we're we're on the same page what what are you willing to give away in the short to medium term so how much time how many sets how many days a week can we then work on this other stuff that i think will help you you know worst case scenario maintain where you're at so you you know if you feel you can carry this pain or carry this injury 
through to your, your competition and you can then compete and we can deal with it afterwards. That's fine. But it's again, it all comes back to communication, I think. And as long as you're able to have that clear expectation with your client and with anyone associated with them, then everyone's on the same page and you, you know, you're, you're all doing it for the same reason, but you also can't argue with each other because you've all made it very clear about the choices you've made. Yeah, I think the yeah key thing that you said there is you know working together in, in communication. I think there's maybe a um, I don't know whether it's a, an old school train of thought, but right, you've got an injury, right? That's it, physio. You're with me. We're just gonna. We're, I'm just gonna look after you now. You're not gonna see you see your coach for how, however many weeks. But how I like to. Um, phrase it if you like is you know you've got a team you, you know it sounds from a client's point of view it's going to sound a lot better that right you've got a team of people here that you know are, are essentially doing things within your within your best interest i know you know with the barbell sports it's uh, everyone thinks it's an individual um uh, uh, sport but you know especially at the elite level they're going to have a coach, a physio, you know, every everything in in the background, and even for the, um, you know, the beginners or or you know, in, intermediate lifters, that you know, I think there is a trend now that uh, that physios and coaches are speaking to each other and you know, working together rather than, um, because you know, I've had you know clients that that have come to me and been like, oh, I've been following a six week six week um uh, rehab program. Oh, okay, so have you still been you know doing the the some of the barbell movements? In, in you know in some in some capacity oh no I've just been doing I've just been doing these and it it seems that the the it's a it's a stop start approach rather than keeping that consistency um of um uh, of training and having some sort of training effect like like you mentioned and one thing I want to touch on for there obviously we spoke about um people leading up to a a competition um or, or a show or whatever it might be in terms of the um interventions that you're gonna put in um does that differ depending on the um uh, on the on what part of the program that the lifter is in and do you change your starting point or is your starting point still the same if that if that makes sense or do you you know have more progressed exercises or interventions depending on where they are within their program yeah that's a really good question i think i think you have to you have to weigh up, as you say, how how far away from from you know from peaking they they are, versus what your your assessment tells you. Because if I if I take a typical a typical example, if I've got a a one hundred kilo plus power lifter who is eight you know six to eight weeks out from from competition and they're saying I'm I'm getting shoulder pain or I'm getting back pain. The reality is, is the intensities are only going one direction in that, you know, in, in that peaking phase bar the, you know, the deload prior to, to the event. But how how much do you want to intervene is guided by how much of a problem this is, you know, this is causing them. So typically what you might see again, if you if you've got this this heavy, stiff power lifter and they are lacking, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're lacking, I don't know, some shoulder internal rotation or, or hip flexion or something like that. There's, there's certainly a lot of interventions you can put in place to try and help with that. But again, is that then going to reduce this necessary stiffness they have to squat 300 kilos or bench 200 kilos? So you have to weigh up, is, is this the best point in time 
to try and get this person moving like a more like a normal human being rather than just this like sagittal plane monster or actually is there some stuff that I can put in for this person that just makes them feel a bit better with the training they're doing because I can't think of too many people who who get to their their final sessions before they deload and they feel great you know they, these are people that are tired and sore and they they you know they're bored of training and they just want to get it over with by that point but if i then go in there and say right well you've got to do these three exercises for three rounds before you do every session and then you've got to do this then you've got to do this they might they might feel a bit better when they're doing it but ultimately, is, is that taking away from the, the goal of what they're trying to do of, of moving as much weight as possible? So that might be where, again, we look at more of the traditional kind of pain relieving strategies, whether it's, you know, manual therapy, whether it's using needles, whether it's using, you know, other, other strategies. But it's, it's just trying to make that decision based on what that person's priority is. Yeah. If their if their goal is to compete and not feel like an absolute train wreck after they've done it, then actually you you probably do say, look, you probably need to just spend a bit more time working on these particular strategies to create a bit more movement option or movement variability. Whereas if your goal is to set a you know a national or an international record then actually maybe the best thing that I can do in this process is, is patch you up as best as I can from session to session and give you some stuff that just keeps you treading water. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a bad conversation to have with people because yes, the ultimate goal is always to get people out of pain, but we have to be upfront with people and say sometimes what, what you're doing is going to dilute the speed at which you can, you can get better. Yeah. So maybe we carry you over the finish line here and then for the next six, eight, 12, 16 weeks of your off season, maybe that's the best time to approach some of these other things where we can not put a barbell in your hands for, you know, for four to six weeks. And actually, again, we can get you feeling good and enjoying that, that training process again. Because again, you know, as you said earlier, some some people do just train for for enjoyment, and I, I just enjoy the process of, of of training and this, I guess, this this process of physical expression. Whereas other people do like to have that that point in time where they can express their, you know, the most strength or the most fitness they've got. But some people don't have a desire to do that. So again, you you've got to you've got to meet people where they they want to be met, but you've still got to be true to what is realistically achievable in the time frame and the constraints that you're given yeah definitely i i, I had to uh, smile to myself actually it felt like you must have been a fly on a wall with my training up to up to a competition where you're fed up of training and every after every powerlifting competition i've done i'm saying i want to do strong man i want to do i want to do something different i'm sick of doing powerlifting but it is you know it, it is it is true you do get to that point where you know you just want to get the competition over and then you've got to, you've got time afterwards to do it and you know i am I do agree with the, you know, sometimes just maintaining and getting to that point where you think, right, we're going to, we're going to manage this pain a little bit more or manage this injury. And then, you know, afterwards you've got a lot, you've, you've got a lot of time, a lot of time to work on things because especially within the, um, the, the barbell, um, the barbell sports um, or, you know, strength sports, there's a 
massive chunk of time between competitions you know i know maybe beginners might have maybe four or five competitions a year but there's still a couple of months um or weeks between competitions and then as as you sort of progress especially at the at the higher level they might only have maybe one or uh, two or three competitions a year so you've got a big chunk of time to um to address the address these things whereas that one point in time especially if everything is you know um uh, uh, stuck to correctly and managed properly then afterwards you know you can you can spend time focusing on these things would that would your thoughts on that differ if i know we've spoken about the um the the barbell sports but and this might be a little bit of a tangent but in terms of um maybe combat athletes or, you know, people who are playing football or rugby who are playing weekly or, you know, um, stuff like that. Would your thought process um, change or would that still be the same concept of, right, we're going to get you through this competition point and then try and manage it? Or how, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think if, if we're talking more about the, the, the person that's sort of either in season or, or off season, then I think it, it does change the dialogue to a, to a degree. But fundamentally, you're, you're still looking at matching this load with, you know, with, with capacity equation that, you know, I think it was, I think it was originally the uh, FRC guys that put it out where, you know, you've got, if load is greater than capacity, you create injury. If, if capacity is less than load, then it's rehab. When capacity is more than load, then it's, it's injury. Uh, you know, reduction or, or prevention or something like that. So that that runs true for every every person, irrespective of what they're doing. In in my mind, but again, it then becomes a balancing act of what's what's most important and what what is the uh, the most optimal way of of doing things. So if, if you've got someone who is competing on a on a weekly basis and they are carrying something that they are able to kind of manage and it's it's just there i'd i'd be far more i guess kind of forgiving with that person or, or far less constrained on saying that you must not do this or you must reduce your exposure to this but let's try these other bits and pieces alongside that and see if that makes uh, an initial change so you know yet yeah, you're, you're kind of adding things in to start with and perhaps you're you're lateralizing rather than regressing uh an approach or a program and that that might be enough for you know for that person just, just by giving them a few bits and pieces it might allow them to actually address a you know a, a fundamental problem that they've got and they don't then need to to stop competing or stop training but if you're adding in one thing and then the next thing and then in the next thing in a in like a measured and methodical manner then you can always assess the outcome based on their, you know, their subjective uh, kind of feelings or, or KPIs. You could cross-reference that with your objective findings or your assessment findings. And then you can then have the discussion of saying, well, this didn't work. What about if we, if we try that? If that didn't work, well, what if we try that? But this is when you then have to look at the, you know, the bigger picture as well. So, you know, things like, nutrition, rest, sleep, stress management, etc. Though those can be more important for some individuals than actually my my physio skill set. Yeah. You know, if if I've had a a couple of examples of people who say, oh, I've had, you know, I'm having this this pain in my my back. And it's like, okay, so let's let's go through a physio assessment. There's not really anything that comes up from that. 
and then you you take a step back and say okay so you are you getting enough sleep each night yeah you know i sleep six to eight hours a night consistently i feel fresh when i wake up okay we've ticked that box well what does your program look like and they say well on on a monday i'll do you know monday i'll bench on tuesday i'll do um some kind of pulling accessories on wednesday i have off on thursday i'll do heavy squats and on friday i'll do heavy deadlifts and you again that there's there's almost this kind of crickets chirping moment where you think we you you've sandwiched the two most demanding things in your week in two consecutive days and being being comfortable to kind of poke and prod into people's lifestyle outside of their immediate problem is really important because you can find these little things that could just be the light bulb that that person needs so you know i've i've had people whose whose pain or symptoms will get significantly worse if they've gone through a high period of stress at work or they've had like a run of really bad night's sleep and their pain is worse so again if if you're looking at the the, the sort of athlete that's regularly competing or someone who's in season all of those things perhaps become more important because you've got that you know that regular exposure to it but again is that then any different from the person that trains four or five days a week and you know physically expresses themselves in the gym or competes with themselves in the gym i i don't know yeah it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, uh point and you know especially with because when it comes to especially when you said there about you know right well how's sleep being how how's stress being and, and everything like that i think sometimes and as well do you know what i didn't put anything down uh about that to to cover because sometimes you know the train of thought is oh well it must be just because i'm what i'm doing in the gym it must be just because um i deadlifted this weight it was it was too much and, and that hurt my back whereas actually you know it is going to be um it could be a build-up of, of 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 things. I know. Just actually, you know, a light bulb went in my went off in my head there. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I hurt my back. Um, why I remember it is because it was just it was on the day of um, our staff Christmas do. So I spent the, the majority of it just just sitting down. Um, but I was thinking, um, how have I how have I managed to hurt my back? It was a weight that I'd, I'd done before. wasn't anything you know crazy. I wasn't even. It was in December, so there wasn't any there wasn't any competitions. And then thinking about it, as we were as we were chatting through with the physio that was uh, that was working there at the time, um, we were we got some new equipment. So I'd been I'd been carrying carrying that in. Um, obviously, then still had a full day of, of sessions and all that sort of stuff, loading plates and doing everything that. Thought right, I'll try and get my my session in, and you know it can be an overload of, of things and other. Every I think everything is uh, everything can, can be connected to to, to one another. Um, and I think sometimes people forget that that it might not be that. Um, it's like when we said at the start of you know, okay, you've hurt your back. It might be something else up or down the chain that might be might be causing that, as well as it might not have been that one thing in the gym that caused it. Because like what you mentioned, you know, most people who are training in the gym, it might not be when the pain first started. People might be coming to see you when that pain has got so much that they they're, they're struggling with that. So I think that's a um, a good way of thinking about it, and I think a lot more people are um, taking that a little bit more into account and realizing that you know sleep and rest and you know not having a crazy program where you you know 
doing heavy heavy deadlifts and then the next day coming straight in and doing and, and doing and doing squats which is part of that whole process of you know educating people a, a little bit more of how they can manage these things and how you know they don't have to go right back to basics and and, and start everything again um one thing when we were chatting about you know exercises on there and um you know where they are in the program and and and, and all that sort of stuff past when when they've done the competition and we're focusing on okay right we are actually now going to address these issues and spend a little bit of time of um addressing these injuries how far back from sort of like the main exercises that they're doing which get gives them a training stimulus how far back would you maybe regress those exercises to still um get the training stimulus that they want but also trying to give them the exercises that they that they need to make sure that they're that they're rehabbing because it is one of those phrases you know give them uh, they most clients will want to do certain things but you need to still throw in the things that they need to do what's your sort of process of that I think it again it always depends um, <laughs> I think with if again if if we take the the, the again the reference of a a resistance trained individual of of whatever type. Um, I think you you need to go back as far as you need to go back relative to again your your assessment findings. So let's let's say for example you've got your your powerlifting individual who has finished their you know they've finished their comp they're now looking at an off season of however long. Um, you probably don't need to stray that far from the you know the the, the main lifts. It's just the method of loading them that you change. And again, may, maybe this isn't dissimilar to some of the, you know, sort of West Side conjugate methods where, you know, you, you would always, you'd still have a squat movement or a, a, you know, your squat is your primary lift, but maybe instead of going for your low bar, heavily hip driven back squat, maybe you give that person a heel elevated safety bar squat, or even something like a, like a hand supported squat or, or a Hatfield squat. So rather than you using this, uh, you know, this, this very kind of horizontal displacement driven squat, you ask that person to stay as, as upright as they can. And you make this a, a far more of like a vertically driven or, or knee dominant squat. And, you know, by virtue of where the, the load is with the safety bar being a bit more kind of anterior, by having someone perform a lot more of a kind of squatty looking squat, you're you're still maintaining a lot of of training intensity and training stimulus but you're just changing where that stress and where that stimulus is going you know I, I don't think we need to take someone back to a you know like a heels elevated goblet squat if they're you know if this is someone who's squatting two to three hundred kilos giving them a 24 kilo kettlebell with heels elevated for a, for a goblet squat you've got to have a very very good reason as to why you're doing that and perhaps if pain is a real problem for that person, that's that's appropriate. But if you're just looking to restore some some movement variability and, and use ranges of movement that that person doesn't expose them to in lead up to a, a competition, then that that can be extremely valuable. And I think one one of the things that I've used probably more and more of in, in recent times, and, and this is whether we're talking about more of a a rehab or like a post comp restorative strategy is lot, you know, lots more kind of unilateral loading, lots of kind of alternating movements to, to drive some of that rotation that you don't get 
when you have a you know a, a barbell in your hands but that may simply be the accessory work in a session yeah. because you could still you know for your for your off-season powerlifter you could still do <clears throat> you could still do trap bar deadlift you could do uh you know like a neutral grip bench press you could then do a safety bar squat it still looks like a you know like the big three in some capacity but you're just giving those tissues that have been loaded and stressed for a number of weeks and those movement patterns that have been ingrained and ingrained a bit of a break and then actually some of those aches and pains will go away simply by changing where the load is is applied to and then as you start to move back towards your you know your next competition cycle you've got to make the decision when do i need to go back and perform my specific lifts to again ingrain those those movement patterns and feel comfortable with it versus the the you know the the stress that comes with those very specific and constrained movements yeah going back to what you uh, what you said at the start between sort of um you know people in in barbell sports who might pivot and try and be a, you know a coping with with the pain and that sort of stuff and it's interesting you said about the the safety bar and, and trap bar you know i've i've put that in um uh, you know off season programs just for variety sake because you know just doing squat bench and deadlift can become a little bit you know monotonous sometimes especially after you've you know had to build up to a competition which is quite specific Sometimes people can say because you know the majority of them will be corpers, as, as as you said. Oh well, that's not a proper squat because it's a safety bar squat. Like I need the bar across my back. That's not a proper deadlift because it's a trap bar deadlift. Do you think sometimes the thought process of that um, from a from a client or an athlete's point of view is that from the the physio or the coach's point of view that they're not um, programming enough sort of intensity, so they are getting a training stimulus. So they might think, okay, well, you know, they've got a they've got a little bit of a dodgy shoulder so we're not going to put them in a uh, back squat we're going to go to a safety squat but then reducing the weight or the or the loading that they can do rather than being like yeah we're doing a safety bar squat this is the reason for it let's get after it a little bit this is still your this is still your training effect yeah you need to you need to understand someone's emotional attachment to the exercises that they're already doing and i think when you are when you are quite distant from that sport or activity, it becomes very difficult for you to, to robustly justify why you're doing something. So, you know, again, for, for me, if, if you put me in front of a, you know, like a, like a field athlete or a, you know, like a football player, rugby player, there, there will be things that I can do that fit very generally with everything I do, but I, I couldn't tell you the intricacies of, well, you need to not do this, but you can do that instead. But when we talk again, when we're talking about barbell or, or strength athletes, they, you know, the, the thing that often they, they resonate with and for a lot of them, their, their identity on things like their social media feed is doing a bench, you know, doing a bench with a, a heavy arch and lots of plates on the bar. It's giving yourself that low bar squat where your face looks like it's going to explode and you're doing it, you know, you're doing a deadlift again, where you, again, you can see this, this physical exertion and it's this real, uh, you know, feat of, of physical expression. And if, if you just take those away without understanding how much it means to that person, then there probably is going to be some, some pushback. Whereas actually, if you can take the time to explain to that person and their coach, because sometimes it's a, again, it's coming from the coach rather than the, the client, 
if you change this for a short period of time, you're still training the same movement. You're still training give or take the, the same, the same musculature. This will benefit you far more in the long term by having a bit of a bit of variety. So build, building that foundation, having that variability allows you to build a taller peak. You know, a pyramid can only be as tall as it is wide. Yeah. But I think if you if you have someone who doesn't want to give way on that because they, you know, they have to bench or they have to squat or they have to deadlift with their preferred technique or, or bar. That's absolutely fine, but then you have to have the conversation about what the potential consequences of, of doing that are. Yeah. And this leads us back to there are no good exercises, there are no bad exercises, but as long as you understand the, the consequences of your choices or as long as you understand what happens when you do this, at least we're all on the same page. And yeah. if you're a private client paying me for my time and we've had that conversation, then my conscience is a lot more clear than if I've done everything that I possibly can and you're still having problems, then I, that, that will keep me up at night and that, you know, that, that will frustrate me. So I think you, you have to understand what, what it means to someone to be able to do a certain exercise or, or pursue a certain activity. And you need to be able to clearly explain why you're making the, the choice that you are. And if you can do that, most people are quite happy to, to give you the leeway with it. And more often than not, you'll then get a, you know, your follow-up appointment or you'll get a message from saying, actually, my, my back feels really good from not doing this stuff. Yeah. And then, and again, it, you, you've then fed into this, this positive experience of them not having pain when they do a particular movement or exercise. And then from there, it, it builds that rapport. And, and then you can start to work back to doing the thing that they, they want to do yeah it was a it was a good point that you said there about you know the uh, you know having the having the buy having the buying from it and making sure that they they understand you know what what is going on and it it kind of goes to the the next thing of i know we've spoken about you know blending the training together and especially within sort of like the barbell lifts it's usually more often than not the same areas that are going to be that, that, that are going to be injured and uh, there's the there's that you know train of thought that well not train of thought it does happen you know injuries will occur because either you know the weight's too heavy they're just going you know they're not recovering as well um, or you know poor poor technique and we've spoken about things to uh, to uh, address when these injuries occur um, and you know things that we can implement to make sure that we're managing pain and when it comes down to you know injuries um, pain and, and all that sort of stuff does it come down to you know, actually following a good training plan, or is it the rehab side of things that is that is gonna is gonna pre prevent that? If if that makes sense, I know injury injury prevention is another rabbit hole that we could probably probably go down. But does it boil down to you know just following a good training plan and being able to adapt and change with the variation in exercises, with managing pain, managing injuries, um, or is it you know? right we need to we need to rehab and focus on this that is that is going to help lifters you know continue to train for you know forever yeah i think i think it's mike boyle that said that re rehab is just good yeah i think it's good good acl rehab is just good training and i think often tra trainers are in a very good position to effectively load manage their their clients i think what they 
when when I receive referrals from other coaches, a lot of the time it's not for a specific injury that's just been sustained at one moment in time. It's more a case of, well, this thing is starting to creep up. It's becoming more of a problem. It's, you know, may, maybe you have that that kind of that that twinge or that that kind of, you know, quick episode of pain that then goes away afterwards. But I think for a lot of people, if you can be confident there's nothing serious going on, which comes down to a thorough assessment with a, you know, with a, a suitably qualified and informed therapist, then actually you can hand that back off to the to the coach a lot quicker. So the again, the, the the people that I work with who are being coached by someone else, I can go through the assessment and say, as as my kind of tier one strategy, which might mean that I don't need to see you again afterwards if this is successful, is I would do this, do this, change this, maybe don't do that for a little bit of time. But for the person who is not being coached and is almost self-directed in their, their exercise pursuits, I would be a lot more specific with what that person is, is having to do. But it also comes down again to the, to the type of injury you're having. So, if, you know, if you're dealing with someone who's got some back pain that's gradually come on and it's, it's becoming more of a problem as time goes on, then you can probably be a bit more agile and a bit more dynamic with how you program or how you advise that person to program. Whereas if you're dealing with someone who has had a specific injury or is, or is post-surgery, then you're going to follow more of like a, uh, like a staged or, or progressive plan where you're looking at, you know, restoring range of movement and then restoring strength and then starting to work on on kind of force absorption and then force production and and things like that so again it, it always depends on the the person that you're dealing with but the situation that they're coming to you in as well yeah I think that was a it's kind of from the first question I asked of right what what's your definition of, of, of rehab what does it um what what we're we looking at what do people think that, that rehab is and you know that explanation there of right we're going to do an assessment these are the things that we're going to do point you in the right direction um i think that's a a good roundup of you know rehab isn't just doing the mcgill big three just doing that for six weeks and then right your back pain is going to go and then you can go you can go back to training you know it is that's why I wanted to ask that question at the end about, you know, good training of, you know, it's a, it's a continuum, it, you know, you can dip in, dip in and out of things and, and see where they're at, see where the, the the clients are, if the pain's going away, if that intervention has worked, speaking with the coaches and, you know, playing around with the vari variations of exercises, depending on where they are in a, in, in a competition, which I think is, you know, that, that mindset of, oh no, well, I've got an injury. That means that I'm not going to be able to train. I think having, uh, striking the right balance between that, because, you know, ultimately at the end of the, at the end of the day, everyone still wants to get in the gym and, you know, lift a little bit of weight or compete or do anything like that. No one wants to be, um, you know, having a setback and, you know, ha having something, um, more severe so they're going to struggle where they're going to struggle a little bit more whereas actually you know having that mindset is probably going to do more uh, harm than, than 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 good rather than going and just being like look this is the this is the injury this is the niggle that i've got i still want to train 
but what you know what 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 can I do? Because um, yeah, I think sometimes there's that thought process of oh well I can't do this. Well, let's focus on what you can do, like what you mentioned there about you know what's your non-negotiables, and then what you can, what you can build on from there. So um, yeah, quite a lot of uh, uh, topics covered there and a, a few tangents thrown in. But the the last question that I like to ask for everyone listening and every from everything that we've chatted about there, what would be your take-home points or words of wisdom? I think if you've if you've got an injury or a painful problem, then do your due diligence on finding the right person to work with. And as much as you are expected to be accountable to their their process and their approach, they are accountable to you for making sure it meets the things that you want to to do as well. So, you know, re- rehab needs to be specific and it needs to be progressive and it needs to be relevant and engaging to that person that you're you're working with so even if you have a a fairly generic approach for certain things that's fine but the end goal is always whatever that person tells you the end goal is and that's what you as a service provider are are working towards yeah, it's a it is a good thing. It's from the it's from the athlete coming coming to you or client coming to you. I think that's a that's where sometimes people from a, a maybe a physio and a coach's point of view sometimes forget it's not right. This is the end point that we're working towards. It's the person that's coming to you to, to say that. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good way of looking at looking at it. Um, Thanks a lot for taking the time to to jump on, Alex. I, I really enjoyed that, uh, you know, conversation and the and the topics covered. But for everyone listening who you know might have any questions about anything that we've uh, chatted about, want to see the content that you put out there, or maybe even you know get in touch um, uh, about about working with you. Where can people find you or reach out to you? Yes, I wish I had time to write content at the moment. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so you you can find me. I'm I'm most active on on Instagram, so it's just at rehab number two robust um, and then i have my my own website which is www.rehab2robust.co.uk so um again i, I have a mix of, of in-person clients i I'm, i do remote working for anyone that wants to to engage or any any queries or concerns people have got so if there's anything anyone needs just just get in touch Awesome. Um, yeah. Thanks again, Alex, for jumping on. I know, you know, the, the, the world of rehab and physio is something that, you know, I think is only going to benefit, um, coaches, uh, and, you know, people involved in strength sports. And I think, you know, especially everything that you've, you've talked about and explained there, I think that's a, um, a good way to look at, to look at rehab and is, you know, beneficial to me so that I'm not thinking oh god I've got someone with an injury I need to you know just give them banded exercises and 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 goblet squats whereas actually you know there's a lot more beneficial that you know that you can still get you know powerlifters weightlifters strongmen to where they want to be without sort of you know starting and starting and stopping again so um yeah really enjoyed that uh, that conversation and uh yeah uh, I maybe wish I should have taken some notes about all right so actually I can uh, I can do that there but um yeah Thanks again. Thanks to everyone listening and I will see you all next week.